Sometimes it takes a different approach to help you unlock your true potential. Capella University's game-changing FlexPath format helps you learn at your own pace and fit earning a degree into your life. From before you enroll to after you graduate, you'll be supported by people who are invested in your success so you can pursue your goals knowing that help is available if you need it. Imagine your future differently at capella.edu. As a person with a very deep voice, I'm hired all the time for advertising campaigns. But a deep voice doesn't sell B2B. And advertising on the wrong platform doesn't sell B2B either. That's why if you're a B2B marketer, you should use LinkedIn ads. LinkedIn has the targeting capabilities to help you reach the world's largest professional audience. That's right, over 70 million decision makers all in one place. All the big wigs, then medium wigs, also small wigs who are on the path to becoming big wigs. Okay, that's enough about Wix. LinkedIn ads allows you to focus on getting your B2B message to the right people. So, does that mean you should use ads on LinkedIn instead of hiring me, the man with the deepest voice in the world? Yes. Yes, it does. Get started today and see why LinkedIn is the place to be to be. We'll even give you a $100 credit on your next campaign. Go to linkedin.com slash results to claim your credit. That's linkedin.com slash results. Terms and conditions apply. This isn't your average business podcast, and he's not your average host. This is the James Altucher Show on the Choose Yourself Network. Today on the James Altucher Show. We could see now that for many young people, democracy is just like an empty sound. So I keep hearing all the time at my presentations, very often from young people, what's the difference, United States or China? So it's a new race now, it's a high-tech race. So what's wrong if China wins? I mean, why should we bother about, you know, about the ideology and about free market and, and about democracy? And um, I thought it would be very important to go back and just to look at the history of this great country and the history of the free world and to explain so why these values are indispensable and how to actually bring these values to the 21st century, how to connect them. So I feel like what's great about your essay and these ideas is that for you, it's not some academic theory. You grew up in authoritarian regime and you totalitarian. were totalitarian and, and, and you were greatly affected by it. And again, just to take it a little more personal level, in your first World Chess Championship match with Karpov, it was often portrayed as Karpov being a representative of the communist Soviet regime and you being portrayed as sort of the, the young, up-and-coming potentially dissident challenge. And rightly so. Are you ready? All right. Rolling? So excited once again to have Gary Kasparov. I, I have to start off the interview this way. He's former best chess player in history, was world chess champion for 16 years, was the number one ranked chess player when you retired, right? You were, yeah, you were still number years, one? Yes, yes. Yeah, for, for, for 20 years, you were number one in the world. Uh, I've personally gone through hundreds of your games, I feel like. It's always weird sitting across the table from you because I've had your games on the table in front of me so, so many hours of my life studying them. But now we're here to talk about something different. Uh, we're talking about your 
your this new collection of essays. You have one essay, but you helped organize this collection. It's uh, the it's called the fight for liberty, uh, defending democracy in the age of Trump. There's many great essays in here. Yours is one of them. It's divided up into uh, first principles about essentially what is a liberal democracy, uh, threats where you wrote an essay, and solutions. But we were just talking before the podcast began what you really wanted to call the book. Yeah, the original title that we wanted to to put on on, on the cover was Federalist Papers 2.0. Uh, and uh, I think it, this title could reflect the whole idea of the book. Uh, yeah, it's 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 a bit self-promoting. So, and uh, you know, maybe why, why would you say that's self-promoting? That's, yeah, that's that but it, it comes. You know, just let, let me start with the with 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 the organization Renew Democracy Initiative that I helped to 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 for, to form um, almost two years ago, uh, in the beginning of 2017. As the many, many similar projects, it was a reaction to Trump's elections and the recognition that something was wrong. And it's not just because Trump was elected, but the fact is that you had two uh, candidates from major parties uh, having a combined negative rating of 120%. Yeah. Uh, and also that the whole process, um, I don't want to repeat, you know, just to follow Trump saying it was rigged, but definitely the, the, that's the, something was wrong with the system that could end up with uh, Trump-Hillary elections. And also um, Trump's phenomena was not, you know, unique for America. We could see the similar effects uh, in Europe uh, and the polarization that, that helped uh, nationalist forces to, to, to take the, the, uh, the front, front seat so, so, uh, in, so, in, 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 in local politics. So, so to unpack that a little bit, um, you know, the, the world, and, and Yuval Harari brings this up in Sapiens, the world's been sort of heading towards globalism, open trade, friendly relations, more democracy. But you're saying that uh, this nationalist trend has been in part, Russia's under, underpinning it in part because uh, as long as there's dissent and these countries are not working but, together, he has more economic power yeah, and other power. Yeah, but it's not just nationalist trend. It's, it's more like Spain in 1936. You have nationalists on one side and socialists on the other side. So this is, you could see that the, uh, the very um, radical factions uh, um, that typically you know, just belong to the fringes and never had uh, uh, much to say for national politics, they all of a sudden you know, were running the show. Uh, and it's again, it's not America only. It's you can look at the UK when uh, Brexit campaign that succeeded, uh, um, at least in the referendum. I still hope that there's a chance it will it will be reversed. Uh, it brought uh, Jeremy Corbyn, a backbencher socialist uh, who was sitting there for 30 years doing nothing, and all of a sudden he's a leader of 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 a Labour Party, and go, who knows, could be the next Prime Minister of the United Kingdom. You see Germany with De Linke, the former communist on one side, and the rise of neo-Nazis, AFD on the other side. You look at France, uh, Marie Le Pen, everybody talks about her, but also Mélenchon, far-left candidate, made nearly 20% in the first ballot of presidential elections. So combined, uh, uh, two radical groups uh, got more than 40% in the first ballot of the elections. So, 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 so looking at that, why, why is every government going to extremes? Where's the middle? It's it used the, to be that's a problem. The middle, middle has been, has been uh, the center has been decimated because it seems to me that the um, the mainstream politicians they fail to respond to to obvious challenges. It's a long story, but you know we, we should probably uh, you know just look at the, at the immediate outcome of of this polarization. Because it's if, if we do nothing now, if we if we if we don't find so the right arguments and, and a new concept, uh, so the vision for the future, uh, we we are facing a serious threat that that these the polarized forces will will tear apart uh, democratic institutions. Because on one side you have a threat 
to um, um, to liberal values that comes from the from the far right. But on the other side, you have a threat to market economy coming from far left. And combined, you know, they they uh, uh, um, they could have uh, such a powerful political hurricane that could get, get wipe out um, all all the democratic constructions that have been erected over the last couple of hundred years. So so. You know, I, and I, I missed the second half of your intro, intro, which is that, you know, after you retired from chess, you, you attempted to run for president of Russia. You, you, you uh, were, were in protest. You were arrested and beaten by the Russian police. You finally left Russia as, rather than go in for, to be investigated. Uh, uh, and, you know, what kind of triggered your, it's like this transformation from, and and it was all along. I mean, you, you know, back even in the '80s, you were sort of representative of this new uh, presence against the old Soviet order. But what what sort of triggered the the change for you to fight so much for this? Uh, look, uh, as you just mentioned, you know, I was quite active politically even in the late '80s uh, during Gorbachev's perestroika, and uh, uh, I thought at that time that uh, as very young uh, um, world champion, uh, I could uh, help to rally people. Uh, uh, behind this uh, newly born democratic movement. And I had big expectations for my country, for Russia. I thought that, you know, from one point, Russia could, uh, uh, could play a vital role in, in changing the world and making, uh, making it better. Um, okay. Alas, you know, um, it's, um, it didn't work out the way I, I thought it could. And, uh, and for me and millions and millions of my compatriots was a great disappointment. Uh, so uh, when uh, KGB came back to power with Vladimir Putin in the year 2000, and I have been warning ever since that while Vladimir Putin was our problem, it would be everybody's problem. As with every dictator, when I knew, I, I read enough history books to know that when dictator runs out of political opposition and enemies inside his own country, he goes elsewhere because he needs new challenges. He has to defy uh, other powers. And uh, what's his goal? Stay, to stay in power. It's just, it, but it's 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 not uh, um, uh, it's not just necessarily you know a, uh, um, a traditional imperialist pol imperialistic policy you know just to conquer other countries. It's not a traditional um, uh, uh, totalitarianism of the 20th century like that Stalin or Hitler. There was no there's no ideology behind Vladimir Putin. It's more like a mafia. It's uh, it's 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 all about uh, staying in power, and to stay in power, you have to prove every day that you are indispensable. So so Vladimir. Putin would say to you, there is an ideology. The U.S. keeps abandoning these, you know, there, there are these uh, uh, revolutions, hopefully democratic regimes take over, then the U.S. pulls out and abandons the new regimes and Russia goes in to help. Yeah, but that's their supposed ideology. That's an ideology. It's, it's again, it's, 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 it's opportunism. But, you know, it's just, you know, let me try to go back, you know, just because it's this, we, I think we moved to, to geopolitics and I want to go back to the domestic uh, issues and back to the book, and then we'll we'll sure. we'll, we'll cover we'll cover Vladimir Putin. Don't worry. We're so I'm, do I'm, whatever yes, you want to do. Yes, <laughs> <laughs> I'm not going to be shy, you know, talking about Vladimir Putin and and his cronies and agents and lobbyists around the world, including this this country, of course. Um, so going back to the beginning of 2017, as I said, there were many initiatives, uh, and uh, I got a few of my friends, you know, some of them I call them the refugees from Wall Street Journal, like uh, uh, Brett Stevens or Max Boot, those who just uh, it's conservative intellectuals who couldn't stand, you know, Donald Trump and uh, so-called never Trumpers. Uh, and, and they thought that, you know, that something had to be done. So just you have to 
uh, preserve the ideas that they believed in, you know, and just, uh, they left, of course, GOP, and, and they were looking for some new, you know, uh, new engagements. So there were some moderate Democrats here in New York, uh, and uh, so we got together and we came up with the idea of a new democracy initiative, um, how to bring together intellectuals from both sides, and uh, to find sort of, the, to find a foundation for, for so for, um, uh, for renewed, uh, renewed democracy. Because we could see now that for many young, young people, uh, I mean, democracy is just like an empty sound. So what is that? So why it's good? So uh, I, I, I keep hearing all the time at my, at my presentations, uh, very often from young people. So, so what's, what's the difference? United States or China? So it's, the, it's a new race now. It's, um, it's more computerized race. It's, the, it's, it's, it's a high-tech race. So what, what's wrong if... China wins. I mean, why should we bother about, you know, about the ideology and about free market and, and about democracy? Does it, you know, offer us any, any uh, bright future? And um, I thought it would be very important actually to, to, to go back and just to look at the history of this great country and the history of the free world and to explain so why these values are indispensable and how to actually bring these values to the 21st century, how to connect them. So that was the idea of the book. That's why we thought about Federalist Papers 2.0, because it's an attempt to actually to bring this, the, the, the work of the founding fathers to the 21st century and to show the connection. That's history, it's, it's, it's not a science, it's not math or physics, but I believe that in history, two plus two will end up with four, uh, as four, but it's not, you know, it may not be straightforward, it could be a little bit crooked, but at the end of the day, it's still four. And uh, what we know from history, that is, uh, uh, the only free world was able to, to create these wealth and just to move the world forward. And uh, when you look at innovations, breakthrough innovations, they all, I mean, let me emphasize, all came from the free world. And uh, uh, there were many challenges to the free world, whether it came from communism or from fascism, but it all ended up with the free world dominating. And it's important for us to understand why. And this book hopefully, you know, could help uh, uh, readers, especially young readers, to understand so how the past, present, and the future connected. So, so I, I would say in your essay, you, you brought up a point that kind of changed my mind on something. So in general, I don't think, or I haven't thought the U.S. should get involved in too many, you know, wars or regime changes or whatever. But you bring up the fact that democracies don't go to war against each other. And never, by the and, way. And, right. And so that that almost from a, a, a financial and a peace perspective, it's better for the United States to get involved early to, to make these but things. It's, it's look, it's 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 not about that you have a choice. I mean that's the it's we, when we say globalization, we think globalization comes up only, you know, just it's it's with trade or uh, with you know tourism. Now, globalization means everything. I mean, bad guys also use globalization, you know, to spread their influence. And it means that, you know, uh, whatever happens in Syria, whatever happens in Indonesia, whatever happens in Africa, somehow can affect you because we all are connected. So this is the... the okay, the, but how could something in Syria affect me? Let's just okay, play it out. Perfect. Okay, let's, you know, let's, let's not talk about you, for, but it's just about democracy as a whole. Okay. Syria. So um, there was an uprising against, against, uh, uh, against Assad. Uh, it, it's, as as in, in, in every other Arab country during Arab Spring, it was very secular at the beginning. So Assad, you know, cracked on this. So, and there was the military resistance, but obviously, you know, when you just put, you know, when, when you force peaceful protests into the military resistance, you have radical elements. Naturally, in Syria, it ended up with more Islamic radicals actually, you know, jumping into, into, into the resistance and creating the pocket of, of, of this military confrontation that were filled with all sorts of 
bad guys coming from different, different places. So uh, Assad was doomed. And in 2013, uh, being desperate, he used chemical weapons. So uh, Obama made a, very, made a very strong statement saying Assad I had to go. And in 2013, he had a very good chance of actually you know, uh, um, fulfilling his promise, using force, at that time very limited force, just you know, basically just to destroy Syrian, Syrian uh, uh, um, um, military aviation. So Syrian, uh, the Assad's capacity to use chemicals. And also it would be a very powerful message. Probably few, few missiles could do the job. And could Syria come in, 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 into chaos? Maybe, but we should look at the, at the, at the outcome of, of inaction because Obama, wavered, uh, he was waiting for, the free, for, for other countries to join him, nobody wanted to do anything. Europeans looked for Syria as it's far away, especially Germans, they said, no, 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 no in, in, involvement, fine. Vacuum doesn't uh, uh, stay for too long. America walked away, Putin came in. And Putin immediately realized that that's not ideology, let me emphasize, going back to the beginning of our conversation. It's, he's not an opportunist, so he saw a chance not only to prop up Assad, which is very important because American president said Assad must go. Putin said, ah, uh -uh, Assad would stay. And it was a chance for him to prove both to his cronies in Russia, but also to his lobbyists and agents around the world that he was so powerful that he could defy American president and to, to prop up that such a monster like Assad. But he also saw another opportunity by using chemical weapons, but also carpet bombing uh, Syrian cities like Aleppo, he could start pushing refugees. The refugees had no way, other way to go but to, to Turkey and then to Europe. And what's happened with this uh, millions of refugees, you know, fleeing into Europe, it helped Putin's natural allies, far right. Hmm. Now, the outcome of, of, of these uh, exodus of refugees from Syria to Europe, especially to Germany, where Merkel received, you know, she probably had no choice. So she didn't want to interfere in Syria. She had to help refugees in Germany. She accepted one million Syrian, uh, Syrian refugees. The result, 94 neo-Nazis in German Bundestag. AFD came out of, of, of nothing. First time in history, the neo-Nazi party could succeed without any economic hardship. Typically, you know, the fascism is on the rise when people are suffering, unemployment, long lines. Germany, economy is thriving. But all of a sudden, AFD, it's now the third, probably soon the second largest party in Germany. One electoral success after another. The only reason, refugees. So that's, that's it. how it's connected. It, this is this way. And by the way, having, you know, 94 neo-Nazis, again, third largest faction in German, in German parliament, and, and it, it keeps rising in, in the local elections in Germany, means that NATO is getting weaker. So that's why it's, it's and it, it, it helps Putin to spread his influence. And eventually, you know, it affects, it, it affects you also. Because even if you don't have refugees in your country, it's, it's a card that can be played. There were no Syrian refugees in the UK, but Brexit, one of the ideas, look at the refugees. They're not coming to UK. Most of the people who are coming to UK, they, they typically, uh, um, they were um, uh, Im immigrants from former British Empire. Nothing to do with Europe or Syria. But again, the image, the refugees. And in America, Trump also played this card. The, the Syrian refugees, is, is just, it, it's the number, is just, it's, it's so meager. It's, it's totally irrelevant when you look at number of immigrants in America. But again, the fact is that you saw the pictures, and it's easy to, to, to convey the message to, 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 to the public that, look, the refugees are coming. It's, it, probably the pictures are, are, are taken from Macedonian border, from Hungarian border, just somewhere in Europe. But the fact is that the refugees are coming. It's helped people like Trump and, 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 and forces uh, that aligning with him in Europe, and of course Vladimir Putin to spread chaos around the world. So, so what's, 
what does Putin gain by this destabilization though? Like what, what, uh, how does Russia gain? How does Russia gain yeah, in, in prominence? Okay, you just, you, you mix two things. You said okay. Putin or Russia. Russia <laughs> doesn't gain. Russia okay. is losing because any country that is run by a dictator, you know, is, is, is uh, losing historically. So it's because then you have to recover from, from, from the years and years of lost opportunities and, and destroyed economy and endemic corruption. And of course, wars. Uh, uh, that, 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 that could turn even your closest friends, like, for instance, Ukrainians, into your enemies for generations. Uh, but for Putin, Putin doesn't care. It's, uh, he runs Russia like a mafia boss. It's all about uh, guaranteeing those who are loyal to him uh, um, full uh, remuneration, so just an ability to, to steal in Russia, to keep money elsewhere uh, in the free world. And now, you know, he recognizes that since economy is no longer playing into his hands uh, and the whole overall situation looks shaky, he needs to show his strengths by defying the free world. And uh, the fact is that he could uh, win. That's, you know, that's what is being presented in, by Russian propaganda. Brexit. You look at the Putin's allies in Europe. Uh, you look at Italy, where just, you know, pro-Putin parties, they form the government. So, and uh, you look around Europe, and especially now the United States, where Putin pretended uh, for, you know, uh, um, for some reasons that, that, that Trump was his creation and there were high expectations of Russian propaganda that Trump could lift sanctions and, uh, and play, uh, play by Putin's tune. So, so when you look at like when, when you were rising up, you know, you had uh, Brezhnev and kind of old Soviet politics and compare that with Putin, what's... You see similarities. You see differences. They had an ideology. You can no, argue. They, they, it's, there are differences, and that's 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 why I think it's just we we it would it took time for the free world to recognize the threat because it was not it, it didn't look like the Soviet Union. I think it's also psychologically it's it, it's more difficult to understand that you have an enemy if you don't have the like demarcation line. We had the Berlin Wall, and it was a physical border, so free and unfree world. Um, now there are no there's no Berlin Wall, and there are no walls. Though somebody wants to build another, but it's just it's it's, but it's the division is not uh, geographical. It's not uh, it's not just by walls, but it's it's by by the split within within uh, um, uh, the society. It's sometimes within families, uh, and uh, um, Putin's strength is that he doesn't have to sell you an ideology, uh, because when you sell an ideology like a communist ideology, or fascist ideology, or any ideology, you have to actually argue for it. Because, you know, you, you tell me, oh, you know, I want to nationalize all the factories. I want to nationalize uh, land and means of production. I'm saying, no, no, it didn't work out. So we, we started a debate. A lot of people, you know, they, they could actually, you know, move away because they, they could see that your position is vulnerable. Now, Putin's, Putin's policy is, 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 is far more effective. He doesn't sell you uh, any ideology. Uh, basically, he sells you doubts. That's why I always call him merchant of doubt. And it's, it's very, you know, it, it's, it's far more successful and, and more effective because basically saying, no, it's, you know, it's not, it doesn't work. Look, you know, look at the problems. And people look at the problems. So it's like, you know, for instance, you know, um, you want to come up with a new product on the market. So say toothpaste. And your product is lousy. So you can try to pretend that your product is good, but you basically could say, oh, look at this one. Look at Colgate. Look at this one. It's the other problems. Try something new. You don't say how you, what is good or bad. It's just, just something new. And Putin, Putin's propaganda machine that is probably the best funded in the world, there are billions and billions of dollars being spent both domestically and outside of Russia, keeps you know, telling people that everything is relative. You don't know the truth. It's one of my, my most popular tweets was about, about exhausting critical thinking. 
So it's not about, you know, trying to, to tell you think this way, but it's about just, you know, demolishing your ability to think critically. Hmm. It's, and, and by the way, it's, it's, it's so easy now because there's only one way to tell the truth. And there are zillions of ways to lie, especially if you have access to so many uh, channels of social media. So, so two questions from that. One is, you think that kind of technique is hitting U.S. politics? Obviously, you do to, to some or to a great extent. The other is, you know, Russia's the, the only the 10th greatest economic power right now in terms of GDP. It's 15 times smaller than the U.S. Uh, why, why is he getting so much influence? Like, who cares about, about Russia? Uh, and I know that might be the most naive question in the world, but... No, no, you, no, no, it's, 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 it's the right premises. Mm -hmm. So Russia is economically weak. Russia is militarily weak. Okay, set aside the nukes, of course. Um, so it's a pale shadow of the Soviet Union. When you just, you know, look at the country that Harry Truman faced or J JFK or Ronald Reagan, Russia today uh, doesn't have the same capacity uh, uh, militarily or economically. So, or even politically, when you look just around the world and the the coalition that Soviet Union could build in the 50s and 60s and 70s. And today's Putin's Russia is sort of a pariah state, but it just, you know, it, its political influence has been greatly reduced. But if, if, if you are at a war, you can easily lose the war, even if you have overwhelming advantage, if you don't recognize you are at war. The Putin's main advantage is he is fighting the United States. He is fighting the free world. And if you just don't believe me, just, you know, find someone who speaks Russian and just, you know, asks to, to, uh, him or her to spend one day listening to Putin's state, uh, state TV. It's 24-7 anti-American propaganda. And it's, it, 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 it has never, you know, it, it's, it's, it was not seized even at a time when Obama was desperately trying to build the bridges and uh, looked for a set and just tried to sort of to, to find common ground with Putin. Because uh, for him, Putin defying America is, is, is one of the key elements of, of his domestic propaganda to, to demonstrate his strengths. Um, and uh, uh, he can spend enough money for hybrid wars. Yes, he doesn't have the same army uh, just to, to confront NATO. He doesn't have to. But he has enough you know, uh, military capacity to, to, to help Assad and just to take over Syria because America walks away. So it's not, it's not that difficult to win the war when the opposite side, which is much more powerful, doesn't want even to recognize it because it sounds bad. Well, and you, and you point out, uh, and the other essayists here point out, that America always getting involved in these other countries is not necessarily, you know, there's a debate. What, what is our democratic principles? Like, do we get involved in other regimes or is that imperialist? Do, do we try to enforce change when it's not necessarily on the surface our battle? The American public doesn't necessarily, it, the American public sort of leans isolationist. We don't want to necessarily go to war. We saw Vietnam, it was a disaster. We weren't very good at Afghanistan, it's a disaster. Iraq's a disaster. So it's uh, unclear okay, what the results you know, are for uh, us. Yeah, but it's the, it's again, Let's you know start with this with with uh, with the current position at the geopolitical chessboard. So you can just you know get out of everywhere. So this is, you can say okay we don't care. So we just you know we want to live in a world you know where just you know uh, it's being ruled by by goodwill of other people. Will it happen? So you left. You're leaving Syria now, and basically you know America abandoned Syria even just you know before Trump. So Syria, the Arab Spring, we abandoned, we abandoned Egypt. And are you better off now? 
No. Are you better off? No, That's but it was hard to justify staying. But are in. you better off now? This is this five hundred thousand no. people dead in Syria, thirteen million refugees. The neo-Nazis in in Europe are on the rise. That's a result of you walking away. So, by the way, you said Afghanistan was a failure, but nine eleven, you know, happened after eight years of America doing nothing. Mm. So, God forbid, there was no no second nine eleven. Probably one of the reasons because the bad guys have been busy fighting American troops elsewhere. Yes, every American soldier is dying, you know, uh, overseas. Bad news. What about three thousand people, more than three thousand people killed, you know, in one day? It's more than than the entire Japanese fleet killed killed at Pearl Harbor. But you could argue it's because Americans funded Osama bin Laden to fight the Russians in Afghanistan. Back in the day, in the early '90s. Yeah, but look, it's just, it's 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 early '80s. By early way. '80s. Listen, we're talking about early '80s, and this was not Osama bin Laden. They were just it was a cold war. In you now, I mean, do we want to go? Oh, how far far back we want to go? To Stalin, to Hitler, to I don't to to FDR, to uh, I don't know to uh, uh, William Jennings Bryan, McKinley, Lincoln. So it's well, look, it's just. Things are connected, but you know, after 1991, the situation in the world has changed dramatically. There was no more Soviet Union, the end of the Cold, Cold War. America was a dominant political, economic, and military force. So in 1992, basically, America could reshape the world the way it wanted without even shooting one bullet, without sending a soldier, just basically you know, pushing one way or another. So what's, what's happened? Oh, by the way, one of the, one of the big achievements of Clinton administration was to make sure Ukraine would be denuclearized. In 1994, uh, under American pressure, Ukraine gave up its entire nuclear arsenal to Russia. I, again, I, I understand the rationale behind this idea. Well, why they do that? No, because it's, it's, look, from the American perspective, from the UK, because John Major was also co-signatory of this, of this so-called Budapest Memorandum, it's, it, was a, it, was a, it was a good move to make sure that the the Soviet nukes that have been spread in, in, in four former Soviet republics, Russia proper, Ukraine, and a little bit in Belarus and Kazakhstan, they could be uh, concentrated in, in one place, in Russia only. Because otherwise, you know, you have just, you know, the threat of proliferation. Mm. So it was, it was good. But the Budapest Memorandum guaranteed Ukraine territorial integrity in exchange for Ukraine giving up its nukes. By the way, Ukraine's uh, nukes, you know, the, the combined number was, was bigger than... China, UK, and France combined. 2,000 nuclear warheads. Mm. That's what Ukraine gave to, to Russia. And US president with, with uh, uh, British prime minister and with Russian president signed this guarantee. People say today, oh, it was, it was non-binding. Yes, it's non-binding, but you understand if Ukraine kept even part of these nukes, Russia would never go to Crimea. So it's the, um, and in 90, from 1992 to year 2000, America failed to, to offer a vision. So what's the, what's the new concept of the world? Because, you know, if you don't offer any idea, so how to live in the future, somebody else will. And 2001, America was attacked. It's the worst attack in American history. And it, by the way, it's, it, it's not an attack that could be prepared for one day or two days. Many years took, it, uh, it took many years to prepare. And obviously, you know, it was a result that America missed quite a few opportunities to eliminate bin Laden because, again, I understand the rationale. People don't want to be involved in conflicts. The language of deterrence is a rough one. The language of appeasement is a soft one. So, so your, your, your point is if they had uh, a coherent or cohesive vision, that might have overridden the desire to not be involved in these conflicts. So what would, what would have been, and you talk about this here, and particularly in solutions, but what, what, would, what would be that vision that would have kept 
the but, world but going. First, you know, it's just it's again, we should recognize a simple fact. <laughs> there are different countries in the world run by you know by different people and different political systems, and uh, uh, many of them, actually, majority of them, do not share our view, uh, our values. So um, more than sixty percent of people today lived in the countries that are run by authoritarian or totalitarian regimes. And by the way, we are facing now unprecedented streak uh, uh, of, of um, a democracy losing its ground. For certain consecutive years, if you look at the uh, freedom index uh, provided by, by Freedom House, whether it's political, economic, or, free, or freedom of speech, it's, it's on decline. Uh, and as by the way, that's also probably the result of America um, 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 not being growing more isolationist and uh, thinking that you can stay away and you can be protected by two oceans. But, you know, you live in a world that is just, you know, it's, if you walk away, the, your enemies will not, you know, leave you, leave you uh, in peace because for them, confronting America is the main justification of their political existence. What else they can offer to people? Putin has nothing to offer. Al-Qaeda or uh, Islamic State, you look at all these organizations, the confrontation is the only justification for them to survive politically and to have followers because they, 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 the entire concept of, of, the, of the dictators or terrorist groups is based on the fact that they are opposing the free world. So that's why this confrontation is inevitable. And for those who say, we don't want America to be global policemen. Yes, fine. Now, what about life without policemen on the beat? So we, we, we see the outcome. And, and I'm not telling that, you know, you just have to start, you know, sending troops all over the place, but you just need a concept and, and a vision. So how to try to reduce the influence of the bad guys because, you know, more, more people being killed, more blood being uh, uh, um, uh, spilled, uh, more uh, refugees being pushed away. And just, it's, it creates more chaos. And chaos, by the way, it's, it's uh, uh, counterproductive for, uh, for prosperity. Europe and the United States, the free world, uh, lived in peace for 75, 75 since 1945, so for uh, more than uh, seven decades. And that's, I believe, one of the reasons why people you know, could enjoy you know, uh, uh, the beauty of life and they could see the, the steady improvement of their lives and all this, uh, the technology worked in out know, for us just to, to make our lives more entertaining. We, the, uh, the average, the, the, the lifespan, you know, keeps keeps growing. So we 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 are enjoying lives without recognizing that we have to pay price for that. And it's and uh, now we also have the forces that are trying just to 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 uh, push us back. And unless we fight, uh, it's you know we'll 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 never succeed. And and uh, for those who said, oh, Putin, you know, could do limited damage. Yes, uh, it you know reminds me of my conversation with Bill Maher so uh, three years ago when more than three years ago, in his studio, uh, when I was, uh, I was trying to, to um, uh, raise the awareness about Putin's threat, and he was very dismissive, as many, many in, the, in, in this country, saying, uh, okay, it's not a big deal, and he said, quote, unquote, wake me up when he takes over Poland. Okay, I jumped on my chair saying, you know, the last time we heard this phrase, uh, or similar phrase, was the beginning of the greatest disaster in human history, so the World War II. And of course, after 2016, Bill has changed his, 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 his mind, his views, and he's now he's going after Putin, after Trump. And at one point, you know, I couldn't help teasing him on my Twitter saying, okay, it seemed that Putin decided to skip over Poland and went straight to Wisconsin. So, so for, those, for those who thought that- A lot of Polish people there too. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's, it's, for, the, for those who thought that Putin would stay 
you know, uh, would stay uh, um, in Syria, in former, in, in its so-called uh, near abroad, in the former Soviet republics, or in Eastern Europe. I mean, they underestimated the fact that, I mean, what could stay, what, what could stop Putin of, of trying to actually influence American elections? He did it in Europe and many countries. And uh, dictators, I, I said, dictators never ask why. It's always why not. And uh, the outcome, you could see it. So, and you think at the end of the story? No, it's not the end of the story because, you know, it's, it's whatever happens with Trump in, in, in the remaining two years or, you know, whatever his time is left for him in the office. I mean, he could do tr tons of damage for this country, but it's not just damage for America, it's a damage for the free world. Because the moment President of the United States undermines the alliances, insults American allies, uh, and basically, you know, walks away from, from traditional values by, by, by ignoring them or just bust, uh, or, or blasting them, and at the same time praising dictators around the world, that's, you know, that's a damage that cannot be simply repaired, you know, just uh, by, by electing the right man next, next, you know, uh, at next elections. Because for many people in the world, you know, it's just, it, it's, it's, it, it would take time for, to, to recover uh, confidence in the, in the United States. Yes, it's totally true. Airbnb has changed my life. If anything, they have made my life so much better. Like I used to live in Airbnbs. I, I lived in over 100 or 200 different Airbnbs over a three-year period, and I loved it. I, loved, I became a really good guest of Airbnbs, and I got to know lots of hosts. So when I initially owned a house, I, of course, the first thing I thought was, I'm going to turn my house into an Airbnb because I travel a lot. So why leave my house unused when I can make a side income by letting others Airbnb my house or come to stay in my house as guests? And having my own Airbnb or, or being a host for Airbnb has allowed me to do just that. And I've met other hosts. I've actually spoken at Airbnb's host conference. I think it was in 2017. I met so many just nice hosts. It's a great community. And I love, you know, turning my own home into an Airbnb. Like I'm traveling to Austin next month. My home's going to be an Airbnb while I'm away. And I'll stay in an Airbnb. I'd rather stay in like a three story house Airbnb than in one tiny hotel room in, in the middle of Austin during South by Southwest. So listen, while you're away, your home could be an Airbnb. Many people host on Airbnb, but there are people who are just letting their house sit empty, who've never thought about it or didn't realize their space could be an Airbnb. Hosting can easily fit into your lifestyle and is a great way to earn some extra money. So if you have a home, but you're not always at home, then you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Looking for a rewarding, life-changing opportunity that enhances the lives of children in your community? Well, with almost 50 years of experience, Huntington Learning Center is the nation's leading K-12 tutoring and test prep franchise, dedicated to shaping brighter futures for both students and franchisees. Huntington is the top revenue-producing supplemental education franchise in the U.S., and their proven system is the key to success for you and your students. The Huntington Advantage includes low startup cost turnkey systems, dedicated support teams, 
national and local marketing support, and multiple revenue streams to help you build a life-enriching and profitable business. No education experience needed. In today's environment, the need for tutoring has never been greater. When you become part of Huntington Learning Center, you're filling an urgent need in the growing $5 billion supplemental education industry. To learn more, visit HuntingtonFranchise.com. Make a meaningful difference, pursue your dreams of business ownership, and be a positive force in your community. Don't wait. Visit HuntingtonFranchise.com today. Hey, listen, men's health is important. Men act all cocky and like they don't need anything. But the reality is, as you get older, there's some things you need. And it often feels like we're too busy to take care of our health problems. Like I'd rather do anything than go to the doctor or the dentist or the pharmacy or whatever. But now you don't have to waste your time if you use HIMS. HIMS, H-I-M-S, HIMS is changing men's healthcare by providing simple and convenient access to science-backed treatments for erectile dysfunction, hair loss, weight loss, and more. The entire process is 100% online, so you get a new routine of improving your overall health faster. Jay, you listening to all this? Yes, I definitely got to use HIMS from now Not on. Not that you need it. You're, you're young and healthy. James, I'm 35. You, you're getting there. You might, you might need it. Who knows? But if prescribed, your medication ships directly to you for free and indiscreet packaging. No insurance is needed. You can manage your plan on the HIMSS app, track progress, and learn more about your conditions and how to treat them from leading medical experts. Start your free online visit today at HIMSS.com slash James. Could you imagine that there's a whole section just with my name on it? HIMSS.com slash James. That's how I how much I am representative of the kind of person who needs HIMS. That's HIMS.com slash James for your personalized treatment options. HIMS.com slash James. Prescriptions require an online consultation with a healthcare provider who will determine if appropriate. Restrictions apply. See HIMS.com slash James for details and important safety information. Subscription required. Price varies based on product and subscription plan. So one of the solutions mentioned in your book of essays is that more countries need to be involved potentially in NATO, like like a Japan, like an Israel, like some of these countries that have liberal democracies, not just in Europe, but outside. And that would give that feeling of coalition. I mean, the big criticism against W going into Afghanistan and Iraq is there was no real coalition. And that's probably why Obama backed out of Syria. And and again, that's what's, what Trump is sort of bringing up as well. What's the chances that maybe some of these liberal democracies join in the fight so Americans don't feel like we are the only policemen there? But look, it's, it's, you know, coalitions are important, but every coalition is a leader. So this is so far, you know, there's no American leadership uh, as, as, as it used to be in, in, in during the Cold War or, you know, just going back to the, to the World War II, America played also a vital role of defeating Nazism. Um, uh, and uh, um, I think it's 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 a very it's it's getting more and more complicated, because look what's happening in Syria now. Uh, Kurds fought uh, uh, bravely against ISIS. They helped uh, to defeat ISIS, almost you know just to, to destroy ISIS. Eight thousand Kurdish uh, 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 men died fighting this battle. 
Now America is walking away, leaving Kurds, you know, between Hammer and a hot place. We have Assad and ISIS in one place, and then you have Erdogan, who just, you know, is dreaming about uh, or having another bloodbath for Kurds. Uh, so how can you convince these people that America, you know, is going to be serious? So this is, it's not about one-off. I think it's about vision. It's about coming back with an idea. So what do we want to achieve? Well, now, our world in five, in 10, and 15 years. Um, late John McCain uh, talked about League of Democracy, and I, 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 I fancy this idea. Just, you know, just, I, I came up with something similar uh, um, uh, at the same time. It's just bringing together democracies in the world. So, I mean, recognizing the fact that today U United Nations is nothing else but catwalk for dictators. Because it's just it's it's a lip service that they 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 pay for for UN resolutions, but at the end of the day, it's you know it's it's for them to promote their agenda and once uh, once every year to gather in New York and to uh, uh, to brag about about uh, uh, their their rule. Um, and uh, United Nations that has been formed in 1945 to preserve world peace and to make sure that Soviet Union and United States would not enter it's, it's the nuclear Armageddon. It's this organization. Uh, was not built to solve conflicts. It was more like freezing conflicts. And now we're relying on the organization that is just it's spreading corruption and uh, both political and maybe not only political. And, and, uh, um, and it's, 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 you cannot have any, any meaningful document there. I mean, just you look at the UN uh, Human Rights Council with countries like Saudi Arabia, Cuba, uh, Venezuela, uh, it's just it's 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 an absolute joke. So this, I think this this the um, the uh, this commission had uh, last year 21 resolutions condemning Israel, and one resolution condemning Syria, one for North Korea, one for uh, for, for I think for Cuba or Venezuela. So it's 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 all about uh, non-democratic countries um, having. Uh, 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 very powerful say in the organization that supposedly should help us to improve world for, for better. So what's the, what's the first step? What's the first step that someone should do that let's uh, say Trump, the president, should, the, the United States should do or some country should do? What's the first step to start uh, this thing, The first step going back to America is still, the first step is here. So because America is, is the leader of the free world. So this is, if you don't recover, so the uh, America's strengths, first domestic strengths and the international strengths, nothing will happen. So you cannot expect Europe, so badly divided Europe, to, to, to take a lead. Or, you know, you can, you can talk about Japan, Australia, maybe Brazil, so this is uh, Mexico, Canada. But at the end of the day, it's about the United States so, um, reinventing itself as a global leader with a vision for, for the world. And uh, that's, that's, that's why, you know, we had our new organization and this book. So just explaining that it's, it's the, the process of, so re rekindling the spirit of democracy must start here. And also the fear that you just bro brought up, the connecting the dots between what's happening and Brexit and Germany and France and the U.S. I think, you know, everybody's motivated a little bit by fear. And I think that goes hand in hand with vision. Yeah, but it's also, yeah, it's, it's, the, it's, it's what we discussed, you know, just beginning of our conversation is that... Um, um, Political center has been decimated. So it's it's not that you know just just we want to preserve status quo. Status quo is just you know it's it's not going to work uh, uh, for young people because they always want to be, to have something dynamic. But it's about you know rebuilding uh, the foundation for for stable democracy that could inspire people to do great things. Like for instance you know uh, conquering the the uh, conquering the space. So 
I think it's very important that we, we help public to recover the spirit, the spirit of exploration, spirit of innovations, and also engagement. So one of the most uh, quoted uh, um, uh, phrases uh, from presidential inaugurals, uh, it's most likely it's, it's JFK's, ask not what the country can do for you. Can you imagine any politician today saying that? Just, just it's, it's the end of your political career because you know, that's exactly what people want to hear. No, no, I want to know what country can do for me. So it's, it's not other way around. So when you go back to the 60s, you know, there was just, you know, country was rallying behind the space program because it was important. And people even didn't recognize that the, the um, um, side effect of, this, of the space program could actually have tremendous, tremendous positive effect for their lives. Uh, like GPS, uh, ARPANET, that later, you know, was transferred in, mm. uh, uh, transferred in internet. So it's, it's very important that, you know, the, 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 nations, the nation can move forward uh, by just, you know, seeing so, uh, having some confidence in the future. I think now just the effect is, 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 is the opposite. So people are afraid of the future. So that's why they always look for defensive options. And that's why you can have demagogues, whether coming from the, from the far right or from far, far left, that are just trying to, to rally support, uh, telling people that we had something in the past, something great that we, we're missing, whether it's you know, uh, crazy nationalist ideas or utopian socialist ideas that never worked. So I feel like a lot of this, what's great about your essay and these ideas is that for you, it's not some academic theory. You grew up in authoritarian regime and you totalitarian, were totalitarian just, just totalitarian, yeah, yeah. and 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 you were greatly affected by it like and and again just to to take it a little more personal level in your first world chess championship match with Karpov it was often portrayed as Karpov being a representative of the communist soviet regime and you being portrayed as sort of the the young up and coming potentially dissident challenger and rightly so Rightly so, although you were a member of the Communist Party because you had to be yeah, okay, as, that's as the, the system. But, but, yeah, but how, I, how, how true was that, that betrayal, though, of, of you know, that dichotomy of communism versus the, the, young, the young youth? It's, the, it's not about... For, for the, you in that match. It, don't forget, you know, which is when I played Karpov, my first match, it was, uh, it's, uh, 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 like, you, know, you can say the Soviet Union was pregnant with changes because Gorbachev was just you know, on the political rise. But nobody knew that then. I mean, he was just uh, yeah, in the beginning. In the, in the, 84, 84 really knew yeah. that it's just, you know, this, the, the, uh, the heritocratic regime, you know, was just about to fall because you, you needed just, just biologically, you needed new people to take over. And, uh, uh, and there were expectations. There we get it. It's, it's, it was not, you know, it was not uh, writing on the wall. Uh, but still, you know, I, um, I remember when I won and I was 22, and I was half Armenian, half Jewish, coming from the deep south of the Soviet Union versus Anatoly Karpov, Russian, uh, representing the establishment. For many people, and I hear even today when I meet these people, you know, around the world, even in this country, so they say, oh, for us it was, you know, like a signal. If Karpov could be beaten by Garry Kasparov, that's a chance for country to change. Because Russia, as many non-democratic countries, is a country of symbols, symbolism. So that's why the Karpov, uh, Karpov loss and my victory, it's, uh, that was so symbolic. I even, I even couldn't understand the importance <laughs> of the symbolism, but now, you know, 30, 34, 33 years later, so I could, I could feel that, you know, that's, that was my big contribution. By simply winning at the chessboard to uh, raise the, not even confidence, but to, to give a hope for millions and millions and millions of people in the Soviet Union that wanted to change our country, uh, 
great hope that it could happen. And it did. I mean, I was in 11th grade and even I, we felt it here, you know, you winning in that way. And, you know, and, and this, this segues a little, but you had a very interesting strategy in the very first match. You kind of realized what was happening and, and you extended a long period of draws. You, you made it so that every game uh, was, was, was ending in a draw as well, just possible until he tired out and then the match was canceled. It's not about, it's not about the tired out, yeah, look. He t- he, 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 yeah, he got tired out, but but match was closed not because I made draws, but because I I, I began winning. So that's the, I I won three games. So after how, how many draws were there though? No, the it's the after game nine I was trailing four to nothing. So this the then I uh, made um, um, seventeen draws. So from game ten to the game twenty six. So I lost game twenty seven. Was five to nothing, and he needed only one 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 win to sort of to wipe me out so to win the match because that's that the, the rules were just six wins we scared draws were not covered okay yeah I, I was not scared you know so I, I knew I was doomed but I wanted to fight and while making all these draws I learned a lot it's like you know just uh, like uh, my my training session so I I'm making draws you know I just I, I got you know more and more engaged so I learned more about Karpov and about you know the way he played and so and um and I think he just, you know, he, he thought it would be almost automatic. So he, you know, he failed to win game 31. He was close. I won game 32, which was, you know, just for me, big relief. At least, you know, I won one game. And then Karpov tried very hard. For the next 16 games, he tried very hard. He couldn't win a single game. I won two games, 47 and 48. And then Soviet authorities, they recognized that the match was already, you know, it's in question. I was still trailing five to three, but it's just, you know, the, the momentum was on my side and I looked much stronger, my fresher and very energetic. So yeah, like I, I, you know, just, I could feel blood. So it's the, and um, and uh, um, going back to these matches, I think that's what's important is that you understand so that you're in trouble and you have to adjust your strategy. Uh, you have um, to do kind of a meta thinking about it's a meta, Exactly. It, exactly. It's, it's, it's now, it's very important that you have a right strategy again too, but you also have a goal. So this is, you, can, you, you know what you want, you know, just long term, but it's very important to survive now. So sometimes, you know, just, you know, you, you, can, you can have very you, great ideas about the future. You can start making long-term plans. But if you get mated, going back to chessboard, you know, at, you know, at, at, you know in, in two moves, nothing is going to happen. So sometimes you just have to make sure that, you know, you stay in the game. So, and uh, again, I... Uh, I think that this match was very important uh, for me as uh, not, uh, not just to, be, to become world champion, but also to it, uh, uh, sharpen my character because I, I realized that you know, this, this no situation is desperate. I mean, if I could survive losing five to, five to nil when my opponent needed only one, one win to finish me off and my opponent was the world champion and I survived and came back six months later and beating, beat him and became world champion, so nothing, no situation is desperate. So because the odds at that moment, they were the, the worst one can imagine. So I'm, I'm going to fast forward to the Carlson-Karuna match of last year. Um, but I promise I will tie okay. it all together okay. and say- How many of your listeners the, know who Carlson-Karuna No, are? no, but what's interesting is, uh, you know, Carlson basically, it almost as if he arranged for the match, the, the initial part of the match to end in a draw. So they move into the blitz games where he was significantly better than Fabiano. And you were critical of that, saying it was kind of 
he should have fought harder in that original match. But why didn't he? Why wasn't it good for him to do the meta thinking where he was even with Fabiano in tournament play, but he knew he could crush him at blitz no, look, play? Look, it's it's, it's, the, it's it, I mean, let's be let's 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 not you know uh, misinterpret my words. So is this? Uh, I I think I, I was very clear saying that uh, the the strategy was good for Magnus and bad for chess. It's, 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 I mean, Magnus was there to play the World Championship match and to defend his title under the rules. But it was pretty bad impression on general public, especially in game 12, the last game of the match, where Magnus had a tre tremendous position, serious advantage. He could push. And, I see. Uh, and he decided to actually to offer a draw because he knew that then it would go to, to a rapid uh, chess and blitz chess where he was much stronger in Caruana, which, by the way, I've been saying it from game one. I said it is... Though 6-6 six, six technically is a tie, and then they move to the tie breaks, 6-6 six, six is Magnus' victory. So that's why Caruana had to do absolutely everything to win in, in, in classical chess, not to, not, not, not to leave everything for the Rapid or Blitz. Um, and Magnus' decision was practical from his perspective, but in the way it, you know, it, it was viewed by millions of people who watched the game, and I, could, I, I also watched the game, and uh, I, could, I could hear people almost cursing because they just didn't understand how the strongest player in the world could walk away after, you know, um, after re reaching, reaching out such a great position. Uh, and they just don't want to hear the arguments about uh, World Championship match. It's, it's all about winning. I mean, I understand these arguments. And that's why I say it was good for Magnus. But we just have to recognize that is the, the match uh, played a um, very dubious role for promoting the game of chess since, you know, a lot of people got really frustrated. Because they wanted to see what that twelfth game maybe would have exactly. looked like. Exactly, it's, it's it's look, it's it's it, 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 the, 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 always a contradiction. The world championship match is not about playing your you know the most beautiful chess. It's about winning. So it's, and uh, people just you know that and I also said it. You know, people don't remember you know this is this uh, just they they keep forgetting. So the the um, uh, the whole scenario of the game or a match, uh, all they remember the result. So for instance, you know. Um, I have been watching uh, um, soccer World Cups since 1970, when I was seven. And in 1970, Brazil crushed Italy in the final 4-1. Beautiful match, Pelé scoring goal just in the beginning of the match, phenomenal. In 1994, Brazil faced Italy in, in this country in another World Cup. Brazil won in penalty shootouts after a scoreless draw 0-0. Draw so at the end of the day, it's a two World Cups of Brazil. Who remembers now? So that's, that's 1970 was a beautiful match, mm. and 1994 was just you know very dull game. And Pele became one of the most famous people on the planet. But, but, as yeah, a but it, no, yes, exactly. But still, in 94, it was another. You know, people say, "Oh, Brazil won five World Cups, five, and one of them was 1970, one was in 1994." So it's it's. I think that that Magnus' view is as who 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 cares today? I won another match, so I'm you know I'm the world champion. It's my it's my fourth title. So, because he keeps counting. So he says, Gary at six, now I want to get seven, so good luck. So, but that's, that's the way he, 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 he thinks. And I, as a professional player, I cannot blame him for that. All just, you know, I'm, I, I worry is about the image of the game because mm. it's just, it's, people still expect a lot from, the, from, these, from these matches, especially now when you have so many people watching them online. It's not like, you know, when I played Karpov, you had, you know, maybe a couple of thousand people in, in, in a big Moscow hall. And then, you know, then you had maybe some radio stations, but people couldn't watch it live. Now, just, you know, you can watch it on your phone. So, and, and it's not just to watch. You can actually follow the computer line. So you can understand exactly what's happening. So that's why sometimes you are, you know, you, you are even more experienced uh, uh, than, 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 than 
uh, the world champion because you have you have such you know uh, such great help coming from from engine which is much stronger than Magnus Carlsen. So so bringing it back to to this, what's what's you've done so many things you've you've pursued so many different avenues and you've fought you've you have fought for a long time for. Uh, democracy around the world, democracy in Russia, um, you know, to the point of attempting to run for president. Uh, what's what's next for you? How do you uh, continue so this? You keep this repeating fight? run for president. I mean, it's, 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 I don't want people just you know just to get a wrong picture about Putin's Russia. Running for president in Russia means you know making a statement because you you cannot get into the ballot, you cannot raise money, you cannot have right, political you, rallies. You, you couldn't you couldn't uh, rent the room to, exactly. no, to it's announce. Just, it's it's all about you know it's all about demonstrating that uh, that, that Putin's Russia uh, was anything but democratic. And by the way, it was two thousand seven. Uh, those years I called vegetarian because for protesting against Putin you could end up in jail for five or ten days. Now it will be five or ten years. If you went back, would you be in trouble? You think uh, the trouble is just its understatement. So, but I don't want to, to to find out whether it will be just arrest or worse. Look, most of uh, uh, my uh, my um, friends and allies who, who marched with me and and were part of the of the protest movement, they either in exile as myself, in jail, or dead like Boris Nemtsov. I mean, it's 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 a dictatorship that uh, that. Uh, Eliminates any potential threat, uh, even sometimes imaginary threat, to 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 um, to its rule inside Russia. And as we know, it's uh, Putin's reach is not limited by Russia. So many or many of his political opponents, you know, um, they were they were hunted and, and killed even even outside of uh, of our country. So so what as you continue this fight, what you're obviously doing with this book, what what's the next steps for you? Uh, what do you think are the next no, steps in general? It's, 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 you know, it's somehow, you know, I'm using my experience, you know, from um, coalition building in Russia because I, I thought it would be important uh, to actually bring people, you know, just from different political um, uh, quarters to fight against Putin's regime and just having a simple goal to fight for free and fair elections, saying, okay, we have many differences, but let's, let's leave the differences aside and, and debate them when or if we are elected to the parliament, um, and that's that's the, this movement was you know quite a threat uh, for for the regime. That's why they they used harsh methods to to destroy it, and uh, and uh, it, it it couldn't succeed. One of the reasons also that the the world didn't want Putin and Putin's regime to go. It's just everybody looked for status quo, for so-called stability, uh, uh, flexibility, as once Obama said uh, in relations to Putin, uh, but. Um, now, I, in America, I, I had the same feeling that it's very important for people from both sides of the, of the, of the political aisle to recognize that there's a, there's a threat, that uh, uh, everything could, you know, could end up uh, as, a, just as a disaster if you have a choice between, between uh, say, Trump and someone coming from the far, far left. Um, and uh, it's very important that it's, it's not just being involved in, in, in the political process now, but actually explaining why we should rebuild the system. I mean, I have quite strong views about, about the overall reform, because I think that's, you know, it's with all due respect to the great achievements of the founding fathers and the system that they, 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 they designed that had been working for nearly two and a half, two and a half centuries, you know, every, every mechanism gets rusty. And we could see that now that's the certain, you know, certain uh, uh, um, uh, uh, elements of the system, they have to be revisited. It's the, I think the electoral college is a problem. It's a long term. It's not going to happen now, but it's this, um, 
I think it's, it's the, uh, the, the um, certainly, you know, things, you know, um, uh, that's, uh, that have been established there, like uh, um, the Supreme Court nominations, uh, you, you know, having, you know, your uh, life tenure. It's, you know, things are different. It's in, in uh, um, 1800, uh, what was the average lifespan? 40, 40 something, and maybe for, you know, for upper class 50. Now people can live 80 plus. So that's this and second amendment of the constitution. So how many people you could kill in, in, in two minutes in, in 1787, maybe one. Now you could, you know, in, in, in two minutes, you can, you, can, you can put down 500 people. So it's, so it's, it's I'm not telling you that we have to ch change all these things, but it's very important we start looking at, 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 at every element of this political system and recognizing that somehow instead of offering us stability, they just, you know, they create more problems. Two-party system just doesn't work anymore because parties grew too big. And it's just, it's, and, and when parties are growing too big and you have gerrymandering, so what happens at every local elections is that you have to, to, have to take care of the challenge, uh, primary challenge coming either from the right or from the left. So which means, you know, you, you, you're pushing the political life, you know, further to the fringes. Um, and it's, you know, it has, inevitably it has an effect to, to, to the national politics. It's, there's so many problems, but, you know, we have to go back and just recognize that while America is facing all these challenges, when you look at American history or history of Europe or just history of the world, it's still, you know, it's, it's um, uh, uh, the most advanced democratic country in the world. Whatever people say, you know, uh, pointing out the problems. That's why I, I strongly oppose those from the right or from the left saying the system is rigged. As I said in the beginning, I don't want this to say it's not rigged, it's imperfect. But there's no, we don't live in a, in a world, it's, we're not in heaven. So that's, it's, everything is relative. So when you look at the American history, and that was one of the ideas of the book, is there are many bumps there. But it, you know, it's about improving your, you know, just your social life, your political life. It's, there are steady improvements. Yes, we, there, there were many things in the past, but they have been you know, gradually just, you know, uh, pushed, pushed aside. We still have a lot of people in this country that just, you know, just don't believe, you know, uh, in the things that we, we think are just, you know, they're, they're very natural and it's just our traditional values. But more and more people are joining, you know, this joining, joining the majority that is just is, is, is pushing for the future. And, uh, uh, and uh, uh, it's, you know, while, while we're trying to improve uh, life here and, and to help to rebuild um, the free world and just, you know, uh, um, bring back its... Um, the, the, the belief that it's, it's, it's the only way for, for, for humanity to move forward. I think it's important for us to learn, learn from history. And, uh, and I'm, you know, I'm quite happy just to, to be part of this project because it's, it's somehow it's, it's, it unites people, you know, that's, that's typically were opposing each other, fighting for, uh, uh, for important things, you know, like gun control, abortion rights, but just recognizing that right now it's, it's not about these issues, but it's about preserving the foundation of the Republic, preserving the framework, First Amendment, don't forget, this, that will help us to actually continue this healthy debate in, in, in the future without you know, us just being held hostages by radicals on either left or right. Well, and I think, you know, for me, I read the book, I felt like some beliefs I held dear were starting to crumble as I read this because I, I realized the importance of again, from this book, from, from your essay in particular, the importance of, oh, there is benefit to being involved in certain situations that it's hard to exactly see what the outcomes are, but, but, but 
the outcome is important. And I didn't quite understand that before. And I think the other thing is it's helpful to, to, to develop your skepticism. Like even if we believe in the primary principles to take a look at the second amendment, to take a look at the way the electoral college is, to take a look at the way the Supreme court is structured and say, okay, the foundation is, is still there, but we may need to look at where it might have gotten rusty. And I think that skepticism, which is, this book is almost a book about skepticism in, in some way, in a meta way. And I think that's uh, an encouraging, encouraging thing. But I highly recommend the book because it gave me a really much deeper rather than just um, rather than just this is what's happening now. It gave me a real deep understanding of how the dots are connected around the world and 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 the potential dangers to uh, democracies. And uh, thank you for for writing it and, and putting together and starting this this conversation. I'm glad we've been able to to talk yeah, again. Thank you so for inviting me. And again, that's the I think the uh, the uh, the bottom line is that. Uh, globalization means that we're all connected. And, uh, and uh, pretending that you could isolate yourself from the rest of the world is just, it's, it's a great disservice for, for, for this country, for you, for your family, for your friends, because we are, you know, we cannot you know, separate ourselves from what's happening in the world. And somehow, even maybe uh, uh, um, it's, it's, you, you think it's a mystery, but we're being affected. And uh, we should be proactive. Maybe just it's, 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 it's about my, my style, chess style, my dynamic styles. But I believe that, you know, it's a time where we just, you know, proactive position is the only way to shape the world. Because if you don't want to be proactive, you will be subject for, for manipulations. And it's very important. Just, you know, just a thought, quick thought about, it is just the, the, the social media. We keep saying social media, social media, social media. And just we, we, we almost, I think we've forgotten that the original concept was social network. So, and you see the difference between mm. social mm. network where we are just, you know, we, we are newsmakers. So we, we are connected. And social media where all of a sudden we are just, you know, um, uh, subjects for manipulations. Right, just like passively receiving media. Exactly. So I think it's very important for everybody to recognize that he or she could play a very important role. But it's, it's about being engaged. I remember when people, you know, after 2016 elections, they kept talking about 80,000 votes that decided the elections. It's a disaster. Uh, Hillary won the popular vote in the country. And it's just, it's all over again. And I kept saying the problem was not 80,000 people who just, you know, decided the elections. The biggest problem is 90 million people who didn't vote. So I think it's very important, and that's, that's uh, one of the ideas of the book, is actually to, to give people the sense of, that's of, of, of this urgency. You have to be engaged. You can change things. And for me, someone who was born and raised in a communist country and someone who fought Putin's regime for the rights to vote and just to have free and fair elections, seeing people who are just, you know, are not in, involved and by having these rights, birth rights to, to participate in democracy, it makes me feel really annoyed. And I but, want them just to to get back to, to, to sort of to, um, uh, to the original ideas what just, that's, that empowered them at first place. But don't you think many people are getting engaged by just this mindless fighting? I'm on this side, you're on that side, so we hate each other. And they just, there's this mindless arguing all day long on, on social media. You know, look, it's, it's yeah, it's, 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 I think it's inevitable, but it's, it's still, you know, for me, it's, if you have more people being engaged, I think it's just, it's, it's uh, they will start in, inevitably 
many of them, some of them will stay, you know, fighting this, having, fighting these petty fights, but many of them will start, you know, just reading serious books, serious articles, because, you know, it's, it's people who just have a lot of self-respect. So this is, not all of them will be wasting their time for just, you know, throwing mud at each other. So they'll try to understand what's happening. I still believe in the wisdom of the crowd, but you need bigger crowd, we need bigger numbers. Because the moment you have more people engaged, so this is the, you could see that the radicals losing because they represent a small part, uh, part of our society, whether on the right or on the left. But they are very loud, they, they, they're motivated, they have an idea. So that's why it's very important to fight them with, 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 the, with, with this wisdom of the crowd, with, with a massive uh, uh, population that it's just, you know, just doesn't want things to go one way or another, towards radical uh, left or right. But still, you know, it's too passive. And I hope that, you know, this, this people will... We'll, we'll, we'll recover the passion, passion for innovation, passion for exploration, and passion for you know, personal engagement in the future. Well, again, I think they could, they could start learning that passion reading this book, Fight for Liberty, Defending Democracy in the Age of Trump. This was put together by you, but it has essays from uh, Ted Koppel's a familiar name, Tyler Cowen's a, a friend of mine, a friend of the podcast, so many other great people, Richard North Patterson, Nathan Transky, so many great essayists, so many great essays. Not everybody's saying the same thing, which is the, a great point, is that skepticism can come together to form a, a kind of, not quite consensus, but a, a belief that we need to, to move forward and here's how. And, and this is a great book describing it. So thanks once again for, for everything you do. And for winning in 1985, I played through every game as it was happening. <laughs> Thank you. Thanks, Gary. Thank you. Thank you.